Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Howdy, folks. Welcome back to another episode of Life Science Marketing Radio. If this is your first time, thanks for joining us. I think you're going to like it. There is no one listening to this who isn't going to benefit um, from the conversation we're going to have today. Um, But summer's coming up, right? It's almost Memorial Day weekend, and you know it's summer because fall fashions are going to start showing up on magazine covers. That's how that works. You know what else is fashionable in the fall? Is going to the ACPLS annual meeting. This unique event is uh, the only event where you're going to be able to network and um, share ideas with marketing and salespeople from just across the life science industry, whether they um, products and reagents manufacturers or CROs and service providers. Fantastic meeting. I'm going to give you a little taste of the kind of things we've got going on there. Uh, we have sessions on virtual reality, measuring your PR to make better decisions. We have a customer panel. It's always the favorite. Uh, you can ask them anything you want about how they like to be sold to. Uh, Hamid Ganadan is going to talk about catalyzing the market through experiences. We've got a session on Google Analytics, a panel of PR experts, how to manage your boss, um, power of social media by a YouTube sensation, former biotech executive, strength-based leadership, turning content into business, and so much more. So you do not want to miss this meeting. And uh, if you register before July 1st, so a little over 30 days from now, uh, you will save $350. But because you are a valued listener of LSMR, I'm going to give you a link for another 10% off. So you can save extra bucks um, just because you're a listener to this show, but you have to email me, chris at lifesciencemarketingradio.com, and I will send you that link um, because I really appreciate having you here. Now, as I said, no one should miss the episode we're talking about today because if you are a marketer or an agency, I'm doing two podcasts with Laura Brown, but today we're going to talk about how to align your budget with um, with outcomes and talk a little bit about an agency selection process. So let's dive right into that. I'm very happy to have as my guest today, Laura Brown. Laura is the CEO of Covalent Bonds. Covalent Bonds works with scientific and tech companies for free to develop a brief for their marketing programs and to help them select the right agency to ensure that the partnership is as powerful and long-lasting as possible. I should also mention that Laura has been heavily involved on the program team for the ACPLS annual meeting and has made a huge contribution to that effort, so I thank her for that. Laura, thanks for joining me on Life Science Marketing Radio. Not a problem. Hi, nice to be with you. So I think this is going to be very helpful for many, many people listening to this podcast. In this episode, we're talking about linking your marketing budget to outcomes, which sounds like it makes total sense, but I can say from my own experience that it doesn't always happen that way. So 
First of all, tell us what kinds of mistakes do you see companies making with regard to their overall marketing planning? Yeah, absolutely. And I think actually the main point is that the planning doesn't often link to the budget development part. And that is one of the key areas where things fall down. Um, Adobe published a really interesting report the other day that I was reading that said up to 60% of global marketing budgets for B2B companies are wasted every year. Um, when you go into that, I mean, that's quite a shocking figure anyway. So 60% of what you're spending could be wasted. And the key word there is could. And it's because people don't actually know. So they don't have systems in place for measuring outcomes. And then the next point is that they don't actually know what outcomes they're looking for. So a lot of people, when they're doing their planning, will start at what do we want to do, not what do we want to achieve. And so they're not actually looking at the why. Why is this important that we're going to do this? So one of the key things that we always say to companies is make sure that you really know why you are doing something. Saying I want to achieve more sales for X product isn't good enough. It needs to be much more specific and much more um, definable. Once you know what you want to achieve, you can then develop the right strategies, the right tactics, the right budget, make sure you've got the right resources in place, and then the right systems to be able to measure those outcomes. But if you think about it, if you don't know what you're looking for, how can you measure them? And how can you actually know if you've utilized your budget effectively? So I think my key takeaway of things that people do wrong with their planning is by not actually taking a step back and going, okay, what are we trying to achieve? And is everyone in alignment around this? So you need to make sure that everybody that has a view on marketing within your company all agree, or at least have told you what they want to see out of it, and so that you can actually ensure that you're achieving that. You then need to make sure that those are developed into proper KPIs that are time-bound, specific, very easy for people to understand. Then you start to link that to tactical execution. So you start to plan what kind of tactics you need to achieve those KPIs. And then once you have that, you can then start to think about what budgets. Now, the budgets will really depend on what tactics you choose. Then the final piece is that measurement piece that we talked about. I, I, yeah, so much uh, good stuff to unwrap in there. I really, I've seen this, you know, in my own experience and I, I love the idea, like what is the outcome we want to achieve and particularly around specificity, which I think rules over everything. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, because it's very typically vague, right? Exactly. I mean, the, I can't tell you the amount of times that we'll have somebody that just come in and say, we want to increase our brand awareness or we want to be number one in the market. They're not actually saying defining exactly which market, what that means in terms of, you know, what they have to do to achieve that or by when. So nobody's going to be able to work towards that specific goal and to be able to um, accurately say this is what we need to do to be able to achieve that. And then to if you don't know that, how on earth can you start to put a budget towards it? You hit the nail on the head there with my favorite word, which is goal, yeah. um, which is the thing that people can go back to 
over the course of the year and say, is this activity contributing toward that goal or not? And also, particularly for marketing departments that are, and I know every one of them is, overloaded with requests for things to do, um, without a defined goal, it's hard to say no because someone comes to you and they say, oh, I've got an idea, we need to do this thing, it will help with whatever it is they're thinking about at the time. Well, of course it does, but it... If it's not aligned with the goal, it's a distraction from the things that you're re- really trying to do. And I've, in my experience, you know, I'd get a laundry list of things from different, you know, stakeholder groups in a company, but no guidance even from the level above that as to which of those was most important. Exactly. And that, that's a really important point, Chris, as well. When you think about, especially in large companies now, we're losing the link between strategy and execution. So the strategy and the planning happens at a typically very high level within the company. But by the time it gets down to the people that are, you know, working out what we're going to do on a day-to-day basis, they've lost sight of that if they ever had it in the first place. So you find a lot of times that the actual marketing teams are going along the lines of, oh, I need to do PR or I need to do content marketing because that's what everyone else is doing. That's what our competitors are doing. But because they don't have the they weren't involved in the strategy development and they don't have it front of mind all of the time. They can't make the right decisions about what to do. And often what they will do is the wrong thing for what they need to achieve. And so therefore they're wasting their budgets again. And I've got a really um, pertinent example of a company that I was talking to that came to me saying they wanted to buy public relations. They wanted to appoint a PR agency. They had a budget for $150,000. So, We went back and asked them why, and they couldn't tell me why they wanted to do PR. Everybody had a sort of vague idea, but nobody could give me a clear reason. So we took a step back and we unpicked their strategy to look at what they were trying to achieve. And what we discovered is that they only actually had to sell to 22 people to achieve their targets. And when we looked at that, those 22 people were in 22 separate companies. Now, if they'd spent $150,000 on PR, they'd have been doing a you know, a scattergun approach, they would have been going to the market, it's not targeted, they would have wasted that $150,000. I mean, it would have had some impact, but it wouldn't have had the right impact to achieve the goal that they actually had. So what we actually did was end up saying, no, you need to do an account-based marketing approach. And we looked at sort of LinkedIn strategies, which essentially were free to them, they just needed to think through what they had to do, and do it effectively. So that could have been $150,000 wasted. Uh, that's a that's a beautiful example, and uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes I I think you're right. I mean, it, there are times when you know exactly who needs to buy this thing, and why would you do PR to do that? Is um, and I think that's an interesting point because I think a lot of times people don't actually think about which is the right tactic actually for what they want to do. There's so much noise in the market and they're getting shouted at of this is the best new tactic. You've got to be doing content marketing you've, or you've got to be doing influencer marketing. And people get overloaded by this. And because there's so many tactics out there, nobody can be a specialist in all of them. So it, you can't be expected to be able to understand them all, know how to do them and get the most out of them. So one of the things is to make sure that you know why you're doing that tactic. And if you don't know, ask people that do around you. There is an enormous network available to people to be able to learn what are the right tactics to do. 
Exactly. So I'm curious, is, um, do you see a difference in the challenges for small companies and larger ones in this sort of area? Yeah, I, definitely. Because in smaller companies, we tend to have less of that disconnect between strategy and tactics because it, it's usually the same person that's designed both. Um, but their challenge tends to be actually just in what budget should I put to this? What should I prioritize? And then how on earth can they measure their outputs? Because they can't afford to put in place a lot of the metric systems that are available. So their challenges are very different to larger companies where you really do get that disconnect between strategy and execution. Um, also, at the bigger companies, you tend to get more of a focus on output because of the way um, marketing services are purchased internal companies. It, all of the um, contracts tend to get set up around output rather than outcomes. So using a PR example again, you're often, as a PR agency, um, they would be measured on how many press releases and how many articles and how many interviews they do, rather than actually has this reached the end audience and has it actually influenced their purchasing behaviors. So there are very different um, challenges between smaller companies and larger companies. Um, also, when you're looking at it in terms of who to work with, um, there are, again, different challenges which come with having different types of budgets, different needs, but also about what kind of support you're going to get. So smaller companies often are um, locked out of being able to work with some of the um, better known agencies in the market. And so it's very hard for them to get um, access to people that can actually help them develop the right strategies, do the right tactics, and actually measure those impacts because they just don't have the budgets to access those. Whereas larger companies tend to work with the same agencies um, over and over again because that builds a level of trust. Um, they tend to ask who their colleagues have worked with and then uh, use those people. Um, that also doesn't necessarily bring you the best results because often... Um, that sort of working with the same people over and over again tends to stifle creativity and innovation. So you get a, a sense of trust with it, but you won't necessarily get the best results from it. Yeah, there's a lot. I'm making a note on that because I want to come back to that. So trust versus innovation. But um, I'm, I'm going back to what you said about small companies and larger ones. So just to recap, the small companies their strategy and their tactics tend to be more aligned because it it's not diluted by a long chain of command, for example. Exactly. But they, they might have trouble measuring. The large companies have the budget to do the measuring, but they don't. Right? Exactly. <laughs> or they're not focused on the outcomes, as you said. Exactly. Because it's just easier to say we want three of these and four of those. And Exactly. And everybody says they'd like more um, – oversight of the outcomes and to be able to link those budgets to execution but actually they very rarely have the budget set aside to do that there there, there are um office and um, services available that enable you to do that that will work with you on your kpis and will then provide you reports every quarter that says you know you've achieved this kpi this tactic that you've overspent on because it's not generating the results that you need this one's your underspending on because you you are getting some really good results and you can get more but those do cost money and companies um, although they love that they don't tend to as yet put aside the budget for it 
Um, interestingly, we've noticed that our um, dialogues are changing. So they used to be always sort of the CMO level within companies, the chief marketing officer. But actually now it's the chief financial officers that are getting involved. And they're the ones that are starting to free up the budgets to see this. Because beforehand they, they saw the marketing budget as a black hole, essentially, that they couldn't get any metrics against. Whereas now they're starting to see that they can put this in place. But that needs to filter down to the marketing teams that this is available. And it's also being driven from the C-level to give that oversight that they're doing, you know, they're actually doing the right tactics and they're getting the outcomes that they need. I'm glad you mentioned that because, um, first of all, I'm thinking that at the ACPLS annual meeting, so a little plug in the middle here, a number of sessions on analytics. Um, and I was going to ask, but I think you kind of answered the question is, you know, how do we go about getting analytics uh, to be a bigger part of our marketing budget and take it seriously? I know, you know, there's always some fear because everybody knows that it's probably not what it should be, but, um, in, yeah, in terms of your results. But if you exactly. don't start, it's never going to be, right? Exactly. I think the other thing is that historically, um, well, there's two points to make. Um, most of the data that uh, is available currently is just that, it's data. And marketers historically haven't been that enamored with data. They prefer seeing impact very quickly, but getting loads of reams of Excel spreadsheets is not going to excite them and they're not going to spend the time to dig into it. Um, so the, one of the challenges is the, the format of the data that they do get currently, whether that's out of Salesforce or, or whatever that you've got in place. Um, and the, the other side is to actually how to turn that into actionable insights for them. So one of the things that we're working on um, at Covalent Bonds is to make sure that you actually get a report that means something to you. So that we actually go through all of that data, we bring together all of those disparate um, systems that you probably already have in place, all of the Google Analytics, everything together into one simple report that you can then visualize and be able to identify this piece of my marketing's working, this piece isn't, you know, this we're overspending on, this we're underspending on. So you actually have, you know, di direction on where to go next. So it makes it much more easy and digestible for marketers and gives you much um, a quicker, um, it enables you to respond quicker to the data and more timely. Right. Yeah. And the other thing about analytics and, you know, I, sh I share the fear probably that, that everyone does, but on the other side of it, this is the thing I'm always trying to do for companies is to make things easier. Once you get those analytics and see what's working, then you can point out to people like, hey, we've done that. That's a waste of time. <laughs> you know, so anything mm -hmm. you can prove that you shouldn't be doing is good for a marketer. Exactly. And this harks back to what Andy Bertera said in his podcast with you. Um, I love uh, the phrase that he was talking about with, um, we're scientists, we're working in a scientific industry. We should be used to experiments, trial and error. And that should be fine in marketing. It's absolutely fine to fail with a program as long as you know it's actually failed and that you can then review it, refine it if need be, or abandon it if it's just not going to work. But at least you get it in a timely way and can respond. But you need to know if it's working or not to be able to do that. Right. Yeah. I mean, just imagine how fun it would be to you know figure out what does and what doesn't and then spend all your effort on the successful things and, and see where that takes you. Exactly. Let's, 
Let's go back to that trust versus innovation. So now we're back to the big companies that use the same agencies over and over again. So that's probably, I want to just talk about that challenge because I'm imagining, from my experience of big companies, they have, you know, an agency of record. They have a very limited number they work with. They like that. They also like keeping the number of their vendors to a minimum and, and, uh, you want those relationships to go on. So how do you keep things fresh um, without causing chaos and constantly be working with, and, and every time you shift, there's kind of a startup cost and, and so on. So how do we get around that? Sure. Well, first of all, my comment that it stifles innovation is, just, is not just my view. There's a great professor up at Northwestern University who is actually looking into um, networks and partnerships. And he's done some studies into high impact partnerships and low impact partnerships and how um, the relationship between the two impacts scientific discovery. And what he has um, come to realize through his work is that the people working together over and over again produce less scientific innovations than people that worked with different people each time. So this guy, it's called Professor Brian Uzi. He's got some fantastic um, papers out that prove that this sort of high impact partnerships are the ones that bring new DNA in all the time. Um, and what he recommends is using brokers to introduce new blood into projects repeatedly so that you get different perspectives. Now, when you're looking at it in terms of agencies, you're right. A lot of companies have agencies of record. And that's great for tasks where you're just trying to essentially automate getting things done. So things that don't need much innovation, that don't need much oversight, but the agency know how to just churn stuff out. That's great. for agency. Use your agency of record for that. It, you know, you don't need innovation. But where you're looking at a new project, you're looking at maybe a new product launch and you want to do something different. Those are the ones that you should start looking externally to bring in fresh blood to look at it. Uh, one of the things that we strongly recommend is also look outside the industry. Don't just use the same four or five agencies that everyone are using because essentially they're doing the same things. And You'll see that if you go to Google and you put in like recommended life science PR agencies or life science marketing agencies, the same ones come up. Their websites all look virtually the same. They're all saying the same things because what they do, they do it well. But they've been doing the same thing over and over. What you need to do is start to look at allied markets so that you can start bringing in fresh ideas. So things that work in consumer goods might work for a reagents company or things that work, you know, in any sort of allied industries, start stealing ideas and bring them in. And by doing that, you go to different agencies from different markets. You're not looking um, generally for agencies that know the industry in depth. I mean, they have to have an understanding of it, but you have that. You know your product, you know the industry. What you're looking for when you're looking for those partnerships is somebody that brings fresh ideas, new creativity, new ways of doing things so that you can break the mold. When you're looking at that, you should take a risk and look externally. Um, One thing when I said using the term risk there is I probably shouldn't have used that because that is the biggest fear that people have about appointing agencies. 
Most of the time from research that we have done, people are more concerned about making the wrong decision about choosing an agency rather than choosing a right decision, which is why they often go with the agency that a board member recommended, for example, because that de-risks it for the person making the decision. So if you're starting to look outside your normal echo chamber of agencies that everybody worked with, that can seem as a risk and can make people feel uncomfortable. So that's why you start to look at bringing in a broker to help introduce you to agencies. So somebody that can do the due diligence for you, make sure that they, you know, the agencies can do what they say they're going to do and then, you know, sort of de-risk it for you. And then you just make the final decisions based on which agency really is right for you in the end. So the risk element is, is removed as far as it can be. I would stand up and applaud if I <clears throat> wouldn't uh, knock over my microphone. I mean, uh, um, I'm a huge fan of thinking outside of our industry. And, you know, honestly, I position my my business around having life science experience. But I, I think we're too cautious in not listening to what other people in other industries are doing. I mean, I, I, everyone's heard um, – what's going on in our industry by now mm-hmm. there, there's nothing not a lot to discover mm-hmm. except on this podcast of course but um <laughs> yeah it, it's there just have to be our world is so small compared to any consumer segment there just have to be a lot of great ideas out there exactly 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 um so maybe I, we've covered go go ahead no, no no i was just about to say and i really strongly recommend going out and looking at what other industries are doing because you can get so many incredible ideas you don't have to come up with them yourselves just steal them or just talk to people who have done them before and that's actually one of the points I wanted to make that if you are going out and you are looking for an agency partner for long the long term one thing that I strongly recommend you do that when you meet with them Don't ask them what should you do. So don't give them your challenge and ask them to give you their, you know, their ideas. What you want to do is find out what they've done before so that you know that they've actually done it. So you've got evidence and proof. So you get to see how creative they've been before and the kind of results that they get. Anybody can come up with a creative idea, but can they actually deliver on it? And that's one of the things that you want to work out when you're going to choose a partner. Nice. Um, I think we've covered sort of how you recommend companies go about aligning their budget and strategy. Do you feel like we've covered that or do you want to talk about that some more? Yeah, I think just one point, and I have mentioned it quite a few times, but I can't stress it enough. It's the importance of those KPIs and having this all documented really simply. So one thing that we have, and I'm happy to share it with anybody that – would find it useful is just a one page template that brings together your business objectives, your marketing objectives, your KPIs, the tactics and how you're going to measure them all on one page. So you can share it internally. So everybody has exactly the same view. They can stick it up next to their desk and be able to see what they're doing every day just to keep it very simple and concise so people don't lose sight. Excellent. So we can link to that directly or we can link to your site in the show notes, however you want to do that um, or 
have people email you for it. We can do it however you want. Let, let's wrap up with, can you give some examples of different budget allocations based on strategies and desired outcomes? So I'm not looking for anybody's specific case, but you know how people think about, um, oh, this is what we're trying to do. So given that scenario, these sorts of tactics are where we should spend our money. Yeah, sure. I mean, the key thing here is it really depends on each company. There is not one um, budget that will work for each because obviously smaller companies have smaller budgets and larger companies have much bigger. And actually, uh, Gartner have just released their um, report on um, how, you know, what budgets people are putting to marketing and they said, sorry, large companies, which they're classifying as um, over $10 billion, and that's a very large company, they spend um, approximately 13% of revenues on marketing, whereas smaller wow. companies are spending 10% of revenues on marketing. So that's a guide of what kind of overall budgets that companies are putting to this. When Does that include... I have to ask, does that include people or is that just programs? No, that includes people. Okay. Do you know what, what the number have- is for programs? Because this uh, at a company I've worked at in the past, I mean, that was um, that was a helpful number. And I know it, it's been helpful to other people. Is 5% towards programs? I, I can't remember off the top of my head. So I, I can surely pull it out and send it over to you, though, so we can have it afterwards. And I can okay. put it up on my website too so that we've got that data. Um, yeah, I think that's a really useful benchmark for people to understand, you know, where their sure, effort's absolutely. going. Absolutely. And I think uh, once we have this data, companies should be able to have that figure in their head and then work back from there so that they can start to allocate the right budget and the right tactics. So what we suggest is that you rank the KPIs. So after you've worked out what you want to do, you're going to work out how you're going to measure it in terms of sort of the specificity. How, you know, does this have to be achieved in three months or six months, etc.? All of that stuff. Once you've got those KPIs, prioritize them in the order of priority to you. So which is most important. But secondly, rank them in order of effort. And when I mean effort, I'm talking about, for example, if you're launching a brand new product that addresses a an unmet need in the market, and you need to do a lot of education around it. That's going to take a lot more effort and a lot more budget than if you're launching a a product that's going to um, sort of go up against a competition product where the market is already defined, the need is already identified, and you've just got to tell them that your product is available and better because. So you want to be able to rank in terms of that effort. And then you start to allocate your budgets Split out your budgets against each of these. Now, one thing I want to say at this point is a lot of people will often use an agency selection process to identify what budgets they should put to it. So they will go to an agency and say, I want to do a content marketing program, an influencer marketing program, a PR program. Um, This is what I want to achieve. Please come back and tell me what we should do and how much it would cost. And then they use that to formulate their budgets. Now, this is not going to be good for you because what you are doing is you're building in an unconscious bias. So agencies are basically thinking, okay, they're asking us for a budget. Our competitors are probably going to go in at X, so we want to 
come in just slightly under that, what tactics can we do at that budget? So they're going to be choosing tactics that are more cost effective for them to deliver. Now, that's not going to be intentional, but it's always going to be an unconscious bias that comes in. So you're not necessarily going to get the right recommendations for the age from the agencies or the right tactics because of that bias. So if you go to them, having done this budget work up front, then you enable them to say, okay, we've got $150,000. What are the right tactics that can be done within that budget to achieve that outcome? And you're going to get much better results. If you don't know how to do this budget work or you need somebody to come in and help manage it, that's something that we can help you with at Covalent Bonds and would be happy to do so. But you can't do that without having done the strategy work up front, the KPI setting up front, and then that prioritizing and ranking of your budgets. But I think the question that you asked, Chris, was a bit more around what kind of budgets they should be putting to different activities. And again, that really depends on what they're trying to achieve. So if we're talking about building trust, PR is the kind of tactics that you need to be looking at. And you can't really consider doing any kind of meaningful program for for under $50,000 for PR. Whereas if you're looking at a targeted account-based program, a bit like the one I mentioned before, where we looked at LinkedIn, that could be done in-house without needing to go to an outsourced provider. And it's just in terms of time and thinking that you need to put to that. So it's a very cost-effective approach, but will only work if you've got a handful of companies that you need to go after. So it really does get your strategy, know who you're trying to target, and really understand what you're trying to achieve. And then you can work out those budgets from that. Fantastic. I mean, that that did answer the question. I mean, you, you sort of gave a couple of examples there about things that, you know, outcomes that you're looking for that are more expensive or less expensive and, and what it would actually, which tactics are more appropriate for some of those. I just wanted to give people a, a prompt to think about those different things. Sure. And then uh, you really emphasize the point of having your budget. Otherwise, um, you know, making, letting the agency... <laughs> help guide your budget um, to rephrase that question you would never go in and say what's the most profitable program you can do for us <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> which is essentially what you're giving asking them <laughs> right yeah. um well laura brown this has been uh, very very helpful i think this is going to be a hugely valuable to all the listeners of the podcast uh where should people go? Oh, so a couple things I'd hope I hope we can do. Can we link to those um, papers by the professor that you mentioned about? Um, sure, sure. I, I will stick them up on my website straight after this, and then I'll send you the link, and we can circulate that round. And I'll put the Gartner um, data up there, uh, Professor Brian Ussi's, um papers as well, and we can go from there. Excellent. So I'll put those links in the show notes. Laura Brown, thanks very much for taking the time to help us out with this today. Not a problem. Thanks for your time. Yep. Bye-bye. As promised, that's good stuff right there. Every every marketer can learn something from that. I think it's really helpful. The good news is uh, Laura and I will be talking again in the next episode, uh, primarily the episode for agencies and how they go about looking for work. But even if you're a internal marketer at a company, um, it's always good to understand how 
agencies are trying to do business. Everybody gets smarter together, and these relationships are important. So I think just um, learning about how agencies should be going about looking for work and how you should be going about looking for agencies gets everybody on the same page and may cut out a lot of the nonsense that goes on around this type of thing. So I hope you found that valuable. Don't forget, um, as always, of course, if you like the episode, tell two friends. And don't forget to uh, email me, chris at lifesciencemarketingradio.com and I will send you that link for 10% off um, your registration for the ACPLS annual meeting in October. That's um, on the 25th through the 27th. We also have some great full day workshops even if you can't make the meeting on the 27th. If you're in the Boston area or can get to the Boston area, uh, you should definitely check it out. Uh, go to the website acp-ls.org. Look for the annual meeting tab, and uh, you're on your way. That's it for this week. I will talk to you in a couple more weeks. Hope you have a great one. Bye-bye.